Welcome to the Wander Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Franz Tapon. In this episode, I interview once again Derek Loudermoke, and we talk about lucid dreaming. We also talk about extraterrestrials and all sorts of other fun stuff out of this world. Before we get into the podcast, I wanted to encourage people to give me some reviews on iTunes. I've got only about 23 reviews right now. I'd love to get a lot more. So I just to do that, I want to encourage people by reading some of the best reviews online. That I get all any kind of five star review, I'll read it online, and I'll read right now one from DC Quankery. Uh, he wrote this in November of 2020. He said, "Authentic, well-traveled topics." He says, or maybe it's a she. I don't know. I've read a few of Francis's books, which are fantastic, so I was excited to start listening to his podcast. As a fairly well-seasoned traveler myself, it's especially refreshing to listen to his shows during this pandemic when travel is sadly the last thing on my list. He hosts really interesting interviews and covers a good range of topics, the big plus being that it's all very authentic, feeling more like a conversation at a bar or at a dinner table than with a host reading off a list of prepared questions. So thank you so much, DC. And another five-star review written in October by Blues ZQ's Picks. Insightful and enjoyable. Great podcast. Francis is well-traveled and offers insightful points of view on often complex issues. He does the research and does so in an entertaining fashion. Highly recommended. And finally, last one, Shelby Photographics writes, really excited for this. As someone who loves the travel tech transformative aspects of life, I can't wait to follow along through this podcast. That was one of my, that was my first review. So I need some more reviews. Help me out guys by taking a few seconds to just hit the five star button on iTunes. This is iTunes, but you can do it from wherever you get your podcast. They usually have a place to review your podcast and send me the review if i don't see it for some reason or don't read it i read all five star reviews from now on thank you and now enjoy the podcast but first a word from our sponsor this wander learn episode is brought to you by sawyer those guys who make those incredibly good water filters they have not just made great water filters but they've actually donated over a million of those filters to over 20 countries around the world And here's the thing that a lot of people don't think about. When you filter water, you're saving trees. You might scratch your head and say, what? What does that mean? Well, think about it. In a lot of low-income countries, they chop down trees to boil water because their water is not potable. It's not healthy or drinkable, so they got to boil it. I saw it all over Africa. And They are chopping down so many trees, and it's especially dangerous around the Sahel, which is the southern part of the Sahara, and we need that tree chopping to stop. And one of the best ways is to hand Africans some filters. And once they realize the power of that and that they don't have to go and lug and cut trees down, that will help change the world and help lower deforestation and improve their lives. Their filters last over 10 years. And they also reduce diarrhea up to 90%. Liberia is the first developing country to have clean water from border to border. By December 20th, Liberia will be the first low-income country to have clean water from border to border. And that is thanks to Sawyer. So go to Sawyer and check out their products and help them out because by helping them out, you're helping out other people get clean water as well. 
today we're going to talk about a lot of subjects that I don't believe in at all. I think it's all bullshit. But I have an open mind, or at least I claim I have an open mind. Maybe I don't. <laughs> and I imagine some of the listeners here and uh, also think that they have an open mind. Well, we're going to find out. So we're going to talk about a variety of subjects of the spiritual, of the unseen. Let's start off with number one, lucid dreaming. Go ahead. First of all, I want to thank you because last time we uh, did a show on your podcast, I got to talk about things that I haven't had, didn't have a chance to talk about publicly before that. And it was, it was also a process of just uh, helping me understand how I was connecting all sort of dots from different things I was learning. So it's actually been very helpful. And so I'm really excited to come back on. Uh, there's this famous Mark Twain quote, how will I know what I think until I see what I say? And there's this almost a process of discovery about how much one has come to understand when somebody asks you to, to teach it. So that's so well said. I love that saying. I never heard it before. And it also reminds me of when I'm hiking in the mountains for back in the day when we didn't have anything in our ears like podcasts or music. We would just walk in silence in the mountains. And I would often talk to myself when I was in the mountains. And, and I felt like when I'm actually speaking aloud, like my thoughts are crisper or more concrete and I kind of solidify my thinking or my logic versus when you're just sitting there ruminating, you know, without saying anything. So it's fascinating. So say that saying one more time. How will I know what I think until I see what I say? (laughs) So lucid dreaming. Uh, I got into lucid dreaming when my wife was pregnant. Hold on. Define lucid dreaming first for those who don't know. Well, so actually, I, I I learned about the idea of lucid dreaming, and what lucid dreaming is, in in one sense, is when you become aware that you're dreaming while you're dreaming. Right. And so it's different than daydreaming, though. Exactly. Yeah, lucid dreaming occurs within nighttime dream time. Mm-hmm. And I had so never... you're having a dream, and you know you're having a dream. And yes, then something. Sometimes something... you you might be able to manipulate the dream by knowing that you're in the dream, maybe, or you kind of you're just aware. Once you be become both. aware, then then you can do anything you want. <laughs> yes, and it's it's the, god it's mode. Powerful. It feels like you just snap your fingers and you change the scene. You snap your fingers and somebody appears before you or you right? the laws of physics don't apply in dream time. So you can do anything. You can walk through walls. You can fly. You can um, have sex with someone you've always wanted to have sex with, you know, whatever, whatever you choose to do uh, because the, the normal rules of waking life are suspended in dream time. That's my, my lucid dream. Once I realized I was in a dream, I imagined, could I have a conversation with Derek Laudermilk? And so I just shifted the dream to that. <laughs> Well, that that's something that you could do, and in um, there's these tribes. And look, that, it's coming true. It's coming it's true. Coming true. This, maybe this is a dream. So here's something to ask yourself if you're listening right now: Is this a dream? Is this a dream right now? And most people say, no. Of course, it's not a dream. This is I'm awake. And then the next question, I, I, I could I could submit that it's a, we're in a simul we're all living in a simulation. In that sense, we're dreaming. Yes, that's a whole nother that's a whole nother train of thought. But let's just talk about like uh, how, how do you know if you're dreaming, and if you assess if you're able to assess whether you're dreaming now in the waking state. Like if you if you um, 
you know, can can pinch yourself or the light switches work or whatever you use to sort of verify you're in physical reality. If you apply the same thinking in your dreams, if you ask yourself at some point in your dream, is this a dream? Like, can I, can I really fly or is there really a talking dog? Uh, and you're like, well, no, that's a good sign that we might be in a dream. And then as you, as you get used to assessing your reality in waking time, then you can assess your reality in dream time and then become aware that you're dreaming. Right. Follow that a hundred percent. And so once you have a realization that you're dreaming, then what's the, I guess, what's the meaning? I mean, a lot of people attach meanings to dreams. Yes. And what is, do some people see it as a, a forecasting tool, like uh, seeing the future. Other people just see it as a backdoor to your psyche. Um, what's your take yeah, and so this is this is amazingly exciting because lucid dreaming is just a small small part of what you can practically use dreams for. And this is something I teach in my business mastermind is how to, you know, because everybody's like, make money in your sleep. And they're thinking passive income. But when I say make money in your sleep, I'm saying you get the insights that you need to find the right business partners, to find the right business opportunities, to know who to hire, to know uh all the all the questions you have of um all these things can be accessed through dreamtime and i've seen this in my own life and through uh my clients and my friends who who practice this over and over again they get the exact thing they need from dreamtime so it's incredibly powerful how how is that different from let's say the secret which is this whole law of attraction that kind of stuff that's uh, it's related it seems well it's um, a lot of that does have to do with like, what's your intent, right? So if you, so if you want to start either lucid dreaming or just getting decision-making help while dreaming or creativity while dreaming, uh, it starts with the intent. So as you fall asleep at night, you know, what's, what's your intent? Um, And, you know, it's, it's so amazing because we spend hours dreaming each night. And so, most people, right, they're limited in their productivity of how much they can get done during the daytime to, I don't know, you could work 15 hours, but but then you still have to sleep. So it opens up vastly more productive time in terms of uh, figuring out things, creative problem solving, all this stuff. But so whatever question you hold in your mind, whatever you're focusing on as you fall asleep, you know, I want my unconscious mind to bring me a certain insight how to handle a situation or, you know, the very first time I started really asking questions of my subconscious mind uh, was when I was buying this house. And I, cause I had looked at 35, 40 houses and I really wanted to know, um, how am I going to know if this is the house? And, and my wife said, I, I think this is it. I think this is the one. And I was like, oh, there's some things like rationally that's it's not quite perfect. The kitchen's small, et cetera, et cetera. It's needs some repairs. Um, but I, so I asked my subconscious, uh, can you confirm for me? I believe this is the right house. Can you confirm for me that this is right? And I got this just disembodied voice of God sort of just booming, like, yes, this is the house for you. And I was like, holy shit. And then you have to, you have to ask yourself, am I going to trust this? Am I going to trust that my own subconscious mind is acting in my best interest or 
am I going to overthink it and doubt? And so, so then you're like, well, uh, can I, can I successfully just think of my way through this problem? And sometimes you wind up still, right? You think about it for days and then you're, there's still some doubts. And so when you access your subconscious and if you really trust that your subconscious understands things even more fully than your rational mind can, because there's, you know, our, our rational mind is, is limited, but our unconscious mind is, uh, it's a much, it's much broader. So, I've used this for decision-making tools, but basically I was like, wow, that's amazing. But I still didn't quite believe it. So again, I asked the next night, I said, can you confirm for me in a different way that this is the right house for me in a, in a way that helps me understand why this is the right house more fully. And instead of a voice, the next night I got a series of images of us using the fireplace in this house and of us driving away from this house, going to the zoo. And, uh, basically my interpretation was that, um, I was seeing scenes of my family using this house because this was the right house. And so it comes also down to your interpretation. How did you feel, uh, if you were around the fireplace, did it feel like home or did it feel like you were a guest or did you feel good or did you feel yucky? So, so a lot of times people say like, oh, just look, look up a dream symbol, go look it up on the internet. And, uh, you know, um, a turtle means whatever, but it's, that's not necessarily going to be universal. It's what you experience the symbolism to mean. If somebody shows up in your dream, well, what does that mean to you and how did it make you feel? And is there any indication for, for you to do something with that information? Right. Now, but here's the problem I have a little bit with all that. I mean, there's a notion implicit in a lot of this discussion so far regarding dreams and, you know, the voices and and the images that you might get. The notion is this, that your subconscious or your gut usually or always gives you the right answer. And that's something that I understand the logic behind that. And a lot of times people will say like, hey, do you want to go to this university or that university? Well, go with your gut because your gut always knows right, right? You know, and sometimes I'm like, well, sometimes our gut is fucking wrong. Sometimes we make mistakes. You know, like I just think, we're, you know, if, if you're a Navy SEAL and your gut tells you, you know, you should open this door and you open this door and it's the wrong door and then you get shot at, <laughs> your gut was wrong. Um, so how, how do you know when your gut is right? Is it always right? Well, we're talking oh. about a couple different things here. Um, th- we're talking about uh, listening to your gut is different than accessing information from your subconscious. Agreed. No, but what I'm suggesting is that, that the idea of listening to your subconscious, your subconscious and your gut are both these things that are kind of in a way outside of your rational thought, if you will. It's kind of like something else. It's part of you, obviously. But does that make sense that they're both? Yeah, and these like like other things that, and, that you have to kind of listen to that are almost like these wild beasts in your brain at that part <laughs> of you that that you have to kind of like occasionally like say, oh yeah, my gut or my dream or my whatever my subconscious. Yeah, and what I see with my entrepreneurial clients is that most of them are overthinkers. Most of them place such a power in their rational thinking. Um, I'm guilty, and we know that. Uh, 
the, the brain has circuitry. And so most of the thoughts you're thinking today are very similar to the thoughts you were thinking the day before. It's a sort of a brain pattern of thinking. And sure. uh, it's a very limited approach, just relying on sort of your habitual thinking patterns. And if you aren't accessing, or if you aren't listening to your gut, right, if there's key information there that you're just ignoring because you think you can think your way out of it, then you're missing a ton of useful information. Like if you know something doesn't feel good, but you rationalize doing it anyway, it's probably you're going to keep putting yourself in suboptimal situations, which I ended up going all the way to getting married because of my rational mind. I didn't really want to be married, but um, this is the first time I was first time I was married, but I really wanted, um, you know, I really liked my girlfriend. I wanted her to be happy. So, and I thought it would make her happy. So I, I ended up going all the way down the line to getting married, even though my gut te- kept telling me like, uh, I don't have a great feeling about this. So uh, that, that only lasted a year and a half. It's much better that we aren't married. So your your rational mind can get you into situations that are suboptimal. But have you thought of any examples of either dreams or listening to your subconscious or listening to your gut? And that ends up in retrospect being a bad decision. No. I haven't had that okay. experience. So so okay, so you you again you you subscribe to the notion that your gut, your subconscious is always right or you know whatever 99% of the time right. Um and that is something that I kind of I'm skeptical because that's because Derek, your gut or your subconscious could be super attuned and really sharp and accurate. Mm-hmm. But I would submit that some people's gut has the you know is 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 poorly wired or like is well let's, let's think or... about this. Not everyone is going to get accurate gut information because of the diversity among people. Right. You you may be the type of person that um, makes decisions in different ways. But a lot of people, like the the Oracle of Delphi, know thyself. Know you know know your your gut instincts. Um, but some people just don't have that. And so exactly. So that's the but that that's the crux of the issue because it's hard to know if you're one of these lucky guys like you maybe that are born that have this either you're in tune to it or whatever that your gut and your and your subconscious is usually right or you're a loser and you just unfortunately your gut always tells you the wrong fucking thing to do like yes you know jump off that plane without a parachute that sounds like a great idea because that's what my subconscious tells me to do well um there's all kinds of different personality profiles from from myers-briggs to enneagram to human design which can give you indications as to what type of person you are. And then, okay. and then you can test that against your experience. Fine. But how does that tell me whether, whether I'm an ISTJ or an EST, whatever, um, you know, whether you're going to be, if your instincts are good or bad or your gut is good or bad or your subconscious is, is accurate or not? Well, so, so like human, human design is something that I've just started learning about, but it's, it's, um, it's very interesting. It's based on um, sort of Chinese Chinese I Ching and 
sort of paired with astrology. And okay. it's basically what's saying, it called again? Can you repeat that? It's called what, human it called? design. And okay. I've and I've seen it to be uh, effective. In, what uh, is the purpose or the kind of like the methodology or the you said it's it's mar- marrying uh, Chinese as Chinese and astrology. Sorry. Uh, yes. The, so the I Ching um, and astrology. So you need to sort of know your birth information. Okay. And so I started looking into this because I had clients that were not able to access their gut to make decisions. It was it was uh, it wasn't working for them. So I. So I started asking myself, is there a better way I can support these clients? Because they're trying to do business and, um, you know, they're, they're trying this certain type of marketing. They're putting themselves out there. They're, uh, in a way, a thought leader, but a lot of things just weren't working. And so I started, so I started looking into this and there's, um, there's, there's many different aspects to, to human design, for example, and I don't fully understand it, but key things are how you sort of uh, interact with the world is it's going to sort of tell you sort of naturally how you're, how you're supposed to be interacting and people like myself, which were, which are typed as generators. Most people like 75% of people are generators. So they're going to effectively uh, move forward in life by responding to things in their environment. So they get, they get a yes or no, they get a gut instinct as a response to what they're observing or seeing or experiencing. But some people, um, they need to, to work a different way. And so one of my clients needed to be invited. So this, um, this human design said, you're, you're this type of person uh, called a projector that needs to be invited in order for you to, to move forward. And so we started, instead of optimizing for uh, like, like you can't, you can't push out marketing, right? If you're, if you're the type of person that needs to be invited, you can't, uh, try to force things to happen. You can't be like, I'm going to do this brand new initiative. I'm going to just get everyone on board. I'm going to be a leader by, by this. It's, uh, it's sort of the other way around. And so once we started doing business in a way that prioritized invitations, her business took off and all kinds of amazing things happened. So it's at this point, it's an experiment for me, but I'm seeing it work really, really well. So I'm going to continue to try to figure out how I can use this tool. Okay. I had a question though, um, yeah. getting back to lucid dreaming, cause we're kind of veering a little bit off the topic. I want to kind of wrap that up before we move on. What about people like me who basically almost never, never remembers my dream? And, you know, in a year, I might remember three of my dreams or something like that in an entire year. I just don't. So how do you deal with, what do you say to those? I mean, you can't even, you can't do lucid dreaming if you can't even remember your fucking dream. Right. And I say lucid dreaming is like step three. So step, step one is, uh, and we know from science, right, that everybody's dreaming every night. Everybody's in a REM state. And if you're not remembering your dreams, it's because it's just slipped away. So the very first thing that I tell people to do is... Keep a, keep a dream journal next to your bed. Write down the dream as soon as you wake up because within a few seconds, it starts to slip away. It's fascinating how that happens. You're right. I mean, it does. But but in my case, it's even worse. I don't even remember the moment I wake up. I mean, I'm just like, I mean, okay, I'm lying. If I were to do that, which is good advice, um, I probably would remember maybe 20 dreams out of a year. 
Do you? I, I assume you dream every fucking night. Well, it's a skill, and and I, what I love about it is that this is trainable, and I've uh, I've spent the last five years doing this, and uh, it's just like it's just like any other skill. Once you once you train the skill, right? And so my first intent was like, I'm just going to wake up and remember my dreams. I intend that this will happen. And then it started happening and I could write down my dreams and I could, you know, maybe the first few times it was like, uh, I think there was an elephant or I think, I think my college roommate was in there and that was all. But as you do it, you remember longer and longer stretches. And now I can remember you know, full length, hour long scenarios where I'm going here and there and I'm having conversations and experiences and that starts, then you start to get this very rich sort of dream, dream life that, um, that you could interpret, like, is this useful? Is this just my subconscious processing things? Is it just, uh, cause a lot of dreams are just nonsense. But if you have a very specific intent before you go to bed to understand a thing and you get the sense this dream is telling me exactly about, you know, so, so let's say, should I, should I work with this person? Should I hire them or should, should I um, be their coach or should I partner with this person? And you, and you're just, you're not sure your guts, not quite, you know, your, your brain and your gut are telling you different, whatever. So it's not super clear and you kind of want to. Um, so your intent might be, can you confirm for me subconscious in a way that I will understand, uh, definitively if I should work with this person and then you're going to get something and it might be very clear or it might be kind of full of symbolism and hard to decipher. Um, and so if you, if you don't get a clear answer, but you think your subconscious is trying to to get you with the answer, you may have to ask again the next night. You may have to say, okay, I didn't really understand. Can you clarify? Can you say it in a different way? Can you get this to me in a way so that I absolutely know for sure? And so sometimes it takes a couple tries, but sometimes you get a super clear answer right away and you know that this is the direction you should go forward with. It removes any doubt you have, whether your rational mind is saying like whatever. And that is a powerful place to be because another place where people get stuck is in indecision and the most successful entrepreneurs, as you know, uh, they make a decision and they move forward and they can start then working from momentum and progress and all these things. But if you get stuck in, in an inaction from not trusting yourself or not being able to make a decision, then you're going to get left behind. So this is a really powerful tool for entrepreneurs and anybody that's creating something in the world to simply keep moving forwards. Got it. No, that's very well said. And I think that for those who want to explore dreams, I think your advice of just trying to capture it from the second you get up and having a dream journal right next to your bed is is really good. And then the trouble, of course, is how to interpret those dreams. But at least if you want to get to the skill of being able to have lucid dreams and be able to manipulate and control your dreams, it's like a muscle, your dream muscle. In other words, you've got to exercise it and just and that's the way you're going to be able to control it. And and, and, and that makes a whole lot of sense to me. But what doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me is this notion of collective unconscious. Can you explain a little bit about that? Well, what I've experienced this year and what a lot of people I've talked to who are active dreamers have experienced is that this year their dreams are more vivid, more powerful, more informative, 
and have more sort of interaction with other people in them. And my theory is that because globally we're all sharing uh, this pandemic experience, that we're all um, our collective unconscious is is sort of tying us together in in a way that it hasn't before. It's we're all sort of harmonizing in in, in a way. And you know this is pioneered by Carl Jung. His his he was the first to sort of describe it. Um, and and so so once the pandemic hit, everybody's that that I was working with on dreams, their dreams got much more reliable, much more vivid, much more um, useful even. And they were able to connect with other people. So whenever somebody, like if somebody appears in my dream that I haven't talked to in a while, uh, usually I will take that as a sign that there's something I should be looking at there. Whether it's, should I circle back? Should I, should I um, build that relationship is there is there an opportunity here that I sort of wouldn't know about on the surface? Um, and it, and so many times it's proven that they were just thinking about me and they had an idea for us to work together or something that we could do. Or, or I, even two of my friends, they were both appeared in a dream. Uh, it was a really cool dream. Actually, it was a fun story. We were, they're all Instagrammers. And we organized a heli-ski wedding for them for like social media just to like uh it was kind of a fake wedding but we we're going to jump out of helicopters and get married on top of a mountain and then ski down it was like a really cool dream and i was like hey guys you were in my dream you guys were getting married i was the officiant and here's what happened and they were like that sounds rad well they ended up dating they ended up um you know they were both happened to be in la at the same time and they ended up dating and you know there's that all happened because of this this random sort of dream encounter. Um, and that happens a lot. So that's an example of a collective unconscious. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, you're, you're, you're tapping into, and because, you know, consciousness is, is not, uh, doesn't have to be localized, right? Because in dream time, you know, you can, you can go somewhere else. Uh, and you're still be conscious. So it's not, it's not necessarily tied to a physical reality. And uh, actually, so speaking of, speaking of consciousness, um, they've just discovered these nano, uh, nanotubules in the neurons in the brain that are the receivers of consciousness. So a lot of, there was a big theory that the brain was a receiver, like a satellite dish or radio tower and and they've just sort of shown this evidence i just learned about this a couple weeks ago that the brain effectively uses these um you know quantum scale uh nano tubules to to act as the receiver of consciousness in the brain which is amazing which means consciousness is uh external from the the 3d brain Got it. And so that's where this notion of a collective unconscious could come from. Yeah. Now, again, I, I look at it from a kind of a scientific point of view, if you might want to call it that. I don't know if that's fair. But the idea that, you know, we're maybe in a simulation. And if we are in a simulation, then that definitely means that we could be all interconnected through the back end <laughs> computer or whatever simulator that we're living in. So that's another op op potential opportunity there. Now you had um, 
an encounter that you want to share with us, a telepathic encounter with an extraterrestrial. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, first, actually, let's talk a little bit about the, the idea of a simulation or a holographic reality. And I think it's, it's really useful to look at. Um, we, we're perceiving reality with our five senses. Um, but that's really a sort of a decoding of information field. So like when you hear us talking, what you're actually hearing is a sound vibration that's generated by my vocal cords and then is sort of decoded and reconstructed by your mind to be words and information. But it's really just a field of frequency and vibration. And we know that physical matter is a field created by atoms. Uh, it's it's actually you know not solid. So there's so in a sense, as we see, hear, touch, taste, all these things, we're just uh, decoding the the field, the electromagnetic field, uh, the quantum field that's underlying that. And so, uh, it's I'm bringing that because. Um, <clears throat> Now I've now I've lost my train of thought, but it's um, we're talking about the telepathy and and uh, interconnected aliens dreamscape. Well, yeah, there's there's well all as... kinds of things, but but just knowing that um, your senses are simply decoding a a field, a physics based field, and that it's it's a very limited right. Uh, we see invisible light, but we know that there's this huge spectrum of light. We know that there's a huge spectrum of uh, radio frequencies that we can't perceive. So, so just knowing that we're decoding only a very small scale of the total amount of field and the total amount of information and vibrations that are happening all around us. Very true. Very true. Yeah, that's that's something that I think that a lot of times we forget that we're just looking. The visual spectrum, for example, is just a tiny bit of the entire spectrum of of of, of light, if you will. Um, and so, but getting back to this extraterrestrial, sure, yeah. And so, uh, as as I think it's, I think it's really important. Like you can sort of, we can talk about this on a podcast, and we can sort of intellectually say, oh, maybe this is true, or maybe this is not true. But when you have a direct experience, then you can start to know for yourself. There's a difference between understanding and knowing, and as you as you know from your travels like you can't know what it's like to hike the at until you actually do it you can't know what it's like to to understand african culture until you're immersed in it right you could you could sort of like look at it from the outside and so i really uh growing up watching the x-files i thought how cool would it be to meet an alien and I think a lot of people think of like, oh, an alien lands a spaceship on my lawn and walks out and says hello. Like that would be a way to do it. But that's a very limited view of our perception of the total, right? The the fields, which like, who's to say we're going to meet a physical alien? Who's to did say? Did you see the movie Contact? I did. Or read the book? Uh, and it, refresh me. Is Carl. It, Carl Sagan wrote this book called Contact for yeah. those who haven't heard about it or, or seen the movie with Jodie Foster. And I remember because I read the book first and it, I thought it was such an ingenious solution to the problem of Carl Sagan having to come up with an alien. And then the alien just infiltrated the person's mind and came in and appeared as 
his father or her, sorry, her father. Mm. So uh, basically a figure that she trusted and knew well. Yes. And then the communicated to Jodie Foster and, and far, she, she, she knew she was looking at her father physically. Um, but she also was cognizant that I'm, this is not really my father's personality or mind. I'm talking to an alien it's from the Vega star system, 20 light years away. And I thought that was an ingenious kind of twist to like not say that the alien has three heads or, you know, two arms or is a jellyfish or whatever, you know, just some sort or Star Trek, you know, they put on some makeup and it's a bipedal organism. Instead, just he, Carl Sagan just pushed that all aside and just said, OK, how about if I just make it look like a human being and just at least in the perception of a human being? Yeah. And so what's interesting to think about is maybe uh, did he talk to a bunch of people who had experienced something like that? Or did he pull that out of his own creativity? Was that was that from his dream time? Was that from the collective unconscious? Like that's an interesting question of like where great ideas come from, because a lot of great ideas happen around the world at the same time. You know, flight independently invented, language independently invented at the same time at different places. So what's going on there? Collective unconscious, I would say, is like bringing these things to the surface. But anyway, so Carl, so so this is exactly what. Um, so I was looking to to experience like if I can't if I can't go out and just meet an alien on my street if I or if I if I don't really know, um, but I've heard lots and lots of people um, they just get aliens just talking to them, and wouldn't that be cool if I could do that? And I've even had somebody on my podcast who um, is able to put their consciousness aside and let these sort of interdimensional beings speak through them it's called channeling there's a lot of famous channels on youtube um and it was this sort of a a consciousness conscious entity that was sort of speaking through them and that was super cool and i was like i kind of want to see what that's like and there just happened to be earlier this summer something called the harmonic convergence which uh last happened in the 80s and there's the same sort of alignment of the planets and the stars in our solar system that that the harmonic convergence was happening again this summer and last time it happened was the first sort of global meditation where there was like hundreds of thousands of people all meditating with the same intent at the same time is this the unified feel intention experiment uh this is this is different let's well, i'll talk about that in in a little bit okay but this is just um just as just like an event i was participating in and so um the the Part of the goal was for contact to be made for for either ships to show up, spaceships, or simply some sign that our conscious intent was being received and understood in, in such a way that we could understand it. And I, and I believe um, 170,000 people participated this year at the same time. Um, and... 70% of those people, so whatever that figure is, uh, saw a ship or an orb or something in their sky. So this is this is everybody joining on Zoom all at the same time or like throughout the day. 70% of those people reported seeing something flying above their um house i didn't see anything i was really i was i was looking i was really hoping i stayed up late um but i, I didn't see anything but i did get a direct uh 
kind of like the kind of like when I asked my dream time uh, and I got that sort of big disembodied yes. That night, I had a long conversation with an entity that told me, uh, thank you so much for participating in the Harmonic Convergence. Uh, we, we are aliens and we're really pleased to be interacting with you. Um, I believe they said where they're from, but I don't remember. But they just said, like, we want to confirm for you that even though you didn't see a ship, that this meditation worked and, and this is your proof. We're, we're coming to you telepathically in dream time. And we're taking a different voice that's not your voice, so you can distinguish between our consciousness and your consciousness. And uh, this is the way that we can get to you. And so they just um, they just con- sort of conferred that information to me through Dreamtime, and it made me feel uh, very. It was it's very exciting and it was very like peaceful and loving. And you could tell that. And this is what people sort of report across the board when they interact with interdimensionals or extraterrestrials, this sort of pervasive sense of, of love, peace, well-being emanating from, from the other being. And that's what I felt. And it, and, um, and it was, it's just, it was just remarkable to sort of get uh, to, and, and whether it was like real, whether there was a real entity communicating telepathically or if it was just my subconscious mind telling me like that's a good thing that you did um i was left with an experience of contacting another consciousness not physically but in my in my understanding in my awareness and but then how do you how do you what your skeptical side of yourself derek like you might say to yourself, "But well, how do I know? How do I know that I'm not imagining all this?" Right, because that's is... that's possible. Um, and and it didn't really matter. It doesn't really okay. matter. All right. Okay. Um, necessarily. Um, you know, I if if it happens over and over again, and eventually, like, eventually they land on my front lawn, and they're like, "Hey." Uh, we've been talking to you all these years and now we're here because you're, you're ready to actually see a physical manifestation of, of our, of us, or, you know, we were, we had to get there. Like we were flying from a long way off and we, like we weren't there yet to, to meet you or any of this mm-hmm. stuff. Well, that, that would be just additional information, right? That's, that's just extra proof that and what do you think okay so let's say they showed up on your front lawn they say okay here's your domino's pizza and let me uh, i mean what's their what are they there for in other words are they going to abduct you or they're going to just hang out and talk with you and then take off and fly back to their solar system well so so my understanding is and i've uh since we last talked i've watched several documentaries of people who have worked uh with extraterrestrials in these sort of secret government projects at Area 51 and all that stuff. And I sort of understand that there's um, up to, I believe, 36 species of uh, aliens that the CIA has said, like, we have public policy. The CIA has public policy towards uh, 36 different sort of alien races and that 95% of them are... Uh, benevolent and they want to help us if they can and five percent are sort of bad actors 
who want to either uh, eat us or steal our planet or our wealth or enslave us or something like that. So there's like mostly good actors, just like anywhere, just like in our human population. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also universal laws where you can't mess with someone's free will. And so they, okay. so they can't, um, you, if you take away someone's free will, it will uh, impact your own free will, your own free will. So, so one universal law is like you get out what you put in. And so, yeah, but I just don't understand how, let's say, five percent of the of of aliens are having a negative, you know, thing. They're technologically so much, you know, millions of years ahead of us. What's to stop them aside from the ninety five percent of good aliens, I suppose, uh, from doing whatever the hell they want with us? That's one issue. Anyway, go ahead. I'll let you answer that one. Um. So my my understanding is that. Uh, I mean, we can look around and see that there's negative things happening on our planet. There's like things that are terrible things that are happening. Uh, mm-hmm. That that is probably a sign that uh, it's not necessarily just us. It's not just the five percent of our bad actors, but there's uh, influence, potentially influence from other types of beings that that sort of want to have their fingers in our soup okay so like the coronavirus for example could have been invented by these bad aliens that to in order Mm. to create chaos i would say the most likely uh scenario is that it's it's probably a bio bioterrorism right if somebody created it it it's probably a human-made bioterrorism as opposed to extraterrestrial bioterrorism yeah, I would say that's probably more likely. Okay, okay. Yeah. And, and and I just don't, I guess my big struggle is that, you know, when somebody has a juicy secret, it's very hard to shut them up. You know, they got to tell at least their spouse. They have to tell their brother or next of kin, somebody, their best friend. And so I just can't believe that the CIA has 35 alien species documented and that doesn't sneak out and get leaked out. So many things get leaked out in a very obvious way with hard evidence as opposed to, I mean, you might say, well, Francis did leak out. I mean, after all, we know yeah. that it's on YouTube. Yeah, we're talking about it right now. Yeah, yeah right. Um, but th- th- it, a real leak to me is like hard evidence where you would have, it would show up on academic papers, you know, peer-reviewed journals. It would show up on CNN and you would, you would see it everywhere. I mean, it's such a juicy secret. I mean, think about this. When the when the mainstream media finds that there's like water existed on Mars or may still exist, liquid water may still be on Mars. I mean, that, that hits the news. I mean, we're not even talking about life. We're just talking about H2O. And so how could they possibly, you know, this would be the tale of, of the century and not the century of, of humanity's history. (laughs) We're not going to put a lid on that. Well, let's just look at, um, a previous, uh, secret that people couldn't believe that happened the the manhattan project um even people within the manhattan project didn't know what they were working on so even if they understood if they let let it spill right it's compartmentalized in such a way that uh you could you could talk about it but there wasn't the whole picture and then all of a sudden uh they sort of had to announce we had this weapon or 
maybe they didn't announce it until they dropped it and they said, oh, by the way, we developed this weapon. Anyway, it was this huge, massive project, right? There's tens of thousands of people working on the Manhattan Project and nobody knew about it or it was compartmentalized in such a way that that it could be effectively kept secret even if you sort of had an inkling that it was happening. And hmm. that's just that's just one example. And I'll give you another example, by the way. Sure. Um, the... the I forgot the first name. It's the Molotov, Molotov, Rebop, no, Rebop, Molotov uh, secret agreement between, anyway, it was between Stalin and Hitler that they mm. would divide East Eastern Europe a certain way, you know, right along the Polish uh, border. And they had kind of said, okay, Germany gets Poland and the USSR gets everything to the east of that yeah and that was a secret agreement and it was a pact between i forget the secretary of states i believe of each of the respective countries of Germ nazi germany and ussr yep and it took about six years i think if i remember correctly maybe seven years for the united states and the allies the western world to find out about the secret agreement so it happened we learned about it in 1947 like two years after world war ii ended like holy shit we didn't even know this, the secret that they've been putting a lid on for seven years. So despite all the CIA's effort to try to infiltrate the USSR, they finally figured it out that there was an agreement between Hitler and Stalin. But here's the best part. The USSR kept that secret for 50 years from the Soviets, from, from their own citizens. In other words, it was Gorbachev on the 50th anniversary of the Reboff Molotov, Molotov Pact. Yeah. On the 50th anniversary, Gorbachev announced on television, I believe, we had this agreement. Yes, it's true. But here's the thing. There were rumors throughout Eastern Europe and the, and the Warsaw Pact that such a, such a thing existed. Why? Because, of course, in 1947, the United States... And the Western powers knew about it. And so, of course, that information leaked to Eastern Europe. So for roughly, uh, was that, 42 years, they kind of knew, or 43 years, they kind of knew it existed, but they didn't really know. But it was only 50 years later. That was probably one of the best-kept secrets in that sense. But getting back to aliens, <laughs> this is not some sort of secret pact between USSR. and It's not like a Manhattan Project. This is just beyond so juicy. And and by the way, the Manhattan Project, it what the the lid wasn't kept on that inf information for very long. So I've, I just find it anyway. I, I hear what you're saying. I just don't. I cannot imagine uh, that we've been keeping a lid on extraterrestrial life for. Well, decades. Well, let's say that that we actually haven't, right? Let's say that um, because I, at this point, I've probably seen four or five hundred interviews with people who have uh, worked with aliens, or they know aliens, or they've had they worked on projects that are part of a secret space program. All of these things, and so um, I think for a long time, people were just waiting for the president to say, hey, there's aliens. Um, don't, I don't know if we need a president. We just need a credible uh, mainstream source. So like if uh, ABC News announces it and, and gives proof, especially, especially 
physical evidence that would be the most compelling because otherwise it's just talking stories yeah and i don't think you could rely on you couldn't rely on the cia you couldn't rely on the president you couldn't rely on abc news or anybody to give you sort of maybe they'll give you some information right and we're already seeing the pentagon is releasing some information about their ufo tracking program and uh their their technologies essentially they have they're saying they can they can do time travel and they can do uh, anti-gravity and all the stuff. They have the patents for it. So they're sort of... Who's they? Sorry. The, the U.S. government? Uh, the, um, the Navy has these patents. Patents for time travel? Uh, yep. Patents for free energy, time travel, and uh, mass reduction. So essentially anti-gravity where you create a gravitational field around an object. Those I are... would have to see that. <laughs> Yeah, I would have to see the patent. They came out uh, June of last year. In, All right. Well, some... maybe I'll put it in the show notes if you can send me the link to that. That would be that would be cool. Yeah, and so so right, like okay, well that's kind of because again kind of to me those those things like, I mean, how do I know what you know the election count in Georgia is or something silly like that. And I don't know that there's an anti-gravity patent or what <laughs> that should be the headline news. You know, you know, that should be above who won the 2020 election. <laughs> That's what I think too. Above. And, okay. and, and what, so, so people are getting, so therefore it's not compelling. It must not be compelling enough evidence to make that the headline above the 2020 election or above COVID. Well, there's, there's always a hierarchy, let's say, of what's. <clears throat> there's always someone above of all this stuff. So there's somebody higher up making decisions about what can be released and what can't. There's someone yeah, sure. higher up uh, saying, um, "Here's the strategy of the election, and here's the long-term strategy. Here's the the multi-decades. Here's the multi-century-long strategy that." this election or this uh, this war or anything is going to move the needle on. And so when you're looking at the result of an election or when you're getting caught up in something and it's it's causing your attention to like drill down into this one thing, you're ignoring all the other things because your attention is focused on uh, writing or the the election tally or or any of these things and you're not paying attention to these patents that the government has or you're not paying attention to all these other things and so where is your attention because there's a fundamental principle here that i teach my clients you are where your attention is what you're thinking about is going to create your reality that's very true, and I agree with that. I just think that you can take that also and flip it around and just say, okay, because let's say if you, you know, like there's people who see Jesus Christ in their milkshake, you know, they see, wow, there's an image of Christ in my milkshake, or they look up, at, you know, the Greeks looked up into the stars and saw all sorts of, uh, yes. of human beings and gods in the stars because you, it's kind of like whatever you look at, you manifest. So I agree with that, but that can also be, uh, done in such a way that you, uh, you know, it's it's perverted, um, and you know it's kind of like I think it was Carl Sagan who said something like, you know, if elephants were 
in charge of the world they would look up in the stars and see a bunch of elephants in the stars <laughs> um and uh, they would see elephants in their milkshake as well <laughs> and so we're, we're these pattern seeking creatures and then sometimes if we're so obsessed about seeking a certain pattern we might see it and that can happen to people who are searching for extraterrestrials and they manifest that in their mind uh, or or they see pattern where there may not be one yeah absolutely and i think uh, so it's really important to look at um, one, where's your attention? Uh, two, is there is there a, a belief that I'm holding on to? Because because when you when you tell me I'm really skeptical, um, when people are skeptical, it means um, I I want to sort of have these beliefs and and maybe I'm keeping these other beliefs at arm's length. And so just looking at uh, and, and a lot of times you don't realize what your beliefs are until you see a different set of beliefs or until, so there's, there's beliefs that we're all operating on, but there's no such thing as a true or real belief. It's different from a fact or true. something no, I, like that. I, I, just, I agree with that. I mean, there's people I talk to about Bitcoin and they say, yeah, I have an open mind about Bitcoin, but then you, or they're skeptical about Bitcoin, but that skepticism comes to such an extent where they're really, I mean, effectively closed-minded about the issue. Um, and and I confess that that happens to me with regard to God or any kind of spiritual being or aliens. I've got such a degree of skepticism that it's almost I'm not as open-minded as I claim to be. Well, and so so let's let's talk a little bit about that because I think it's central to to a lot of these things. Is uh, largely beliefs are going to keep you where you are, and right. you're going to look for evidence to to continue on your beliefs because that's tied with your ego it makes you feel good right. once your beliefs are confirmed and mm. um so i would ask you um where does your skepticism come from and what is the value like what is the gain you get from being skeptical mm, that's a good question um uh well, we all want to believe that we have access to the truth, or at least that we can perceive reality and the truth. And I think uh, that's what we hope to gain. But why are we skeptical? Um, I mean, I, it reminds me of like I'm, I'm asking I'm actually my... you in particular. Uh, oh, and it, and you because you told me you're going to approach this conversation as a skeptic, right? Um, so, sorry, your question again is one more time. Um, well, let's let's say what benefit? What's the underlying benefit to you to approach this conversation skeptically? I guess the benefit is that looking at a subject with a critical eye and with a skeptical eye, you're more likely to. Um, discover whether that's true or not um you you i guess you're raising the bar for for belief like for example if you tell me that you're right now you're happy my bar for proving that i guess i don't have a huge amount of skepticism because i'm like okay i'm just going to trust you all right i can't you know like could i could i hook you up to a machine and like give you a, a battery of tests to prove that derek is really happy my my level of my 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 bar to believe something like that is very low so i'm like if you tell me you're happy all right i'm gonna believe that you're happy fine 
But if you tell me that you can walk on water, then my skepticism jumps and I'm like, the bar has to be very, very high. And I actually say, okay, Derek, I'm just not going to believe you on that one. You're going to actually have to walk on water in front of me and I'm going to have to see it. So does does that make sense? Uh, I don't think it it fully answers um, what benefit that is to you. What benefit does that mean? Yeah. Um, I, I guess it it it's it it helps create or um confirm or to uh build my sense of reality and and whether you know the world i perceive is is accurate um, yeah so and and that feels probably once you once you have that it feels safe I don't know if it's necessarily safe uh, is the right word. It just feels accurate. It feels like, you know, like, okay, now I know what is. Um, yeah, okay. And, and and I don't know if that's necessarily safe because, you know, you could be... It, it helps bring you to a state of well-being or, or peace or something like that. Perhaps, but I mean, like, let's say if I hear bombs going off all around me and explosions everywhere... Um, I'm not feeling safe, but that's reality there. I'm actually living in a war zone. <laughs> so, um, but y- you can tell yourself that, that, no, no, those are all illusions, but, you know, so I don't think that necessarily, or, you know, like your arm can be cut off and, and like, huh, is that really my arm cut off? Or am I just imagining that? Or is this just a dream? I'm like, I mean, if you think that's reality, yeah, my arm is cut off you actually can it doesn't make you feel safe so i'm just i guess what i'm saying is that carving your reality or at least trying to understand what really is happening doesn't always bring you to a place of safety or feeling good or that kind of stuff okay um but it uh so but it sounds like it brings you to a place where you're like uh, I don't have to question this anymore. Or I, you know, like once you sort of build your model of reality, then, then you can. Um... Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think, yeah, I, th- I think that's fair to say. Like, I mean, I always, I, I like to look at puppies. I take care of a lot of dogs and, you know, like th- they look at the Roomba, for example, and all of a sudden they're like scared of it. And then eventually they realize it's just a machine and it's not going to really hurt them. And then they're like, okay, I've got that. You put that away. You're like, oh, I know. I understand gravity. I feel comfortable with it. But at any moment, you can revisit any of these assumptions and these, uh, if if you find evidence to the contrary. If like all yeah. of a sudden you start to float, you can question gravity. Yeah. Like, wait a second. <laughs> and so the, let's, let's also look at the flip side of this. Um, because you could be, you could choose to be more or less skeptical or, or hold on to beliefs more strongly or resist new beliefs more strongly. Um, what does it cost you to be hyper skeptical in your words, hyper skeptical. It costs me, I suppose, um, a, a level of imagination potentially, you know, like in other words, being able to imagine something that is presumably or seemingly impossible when it's not. Um, I think a lot of times young people, that's why so much innovation comes from young people because old people, they've already hardened their view of what is possible and what is not possible. And then young people come along and they kind of stretch that boundary and are able to do things that previously were thought of as impossible. Yeah. And, and, and so 
so the reason I'm asking is just um, it just helps to to illuminate for ourselves like oh I'm hanging on to certain beliefs more strongly or I'm oh I'm resisting certain ideas more strongly um, and perhaps there's a reason there's a positive reason that I'm doing that and perhaps there's a consequence and then you get to choose then you get to choose whether you want to be hyper skeptical or if you no longer want to be skeptical um, because you could con like you could continue to be skeptical under overwhelming evidence right right um, yeah so at some point well, I, what I find here's a fascinating yeah. sorry to we're going to digress slightly but uh, I find that fascinating about religion I have a degree in religion yes and to me I think it's so fascinating that when you talk to a religious person they are have such conviction about their you know, God, you know, Jesus is the Savior, and it's just so evident and obvious to them. There's just no doubt in their mind. Yes. And yet they, if you ask them about, well, is Muhammad the last prophet of God? They're like, no. I'm like, well, why not? Because there's no evidence. I'm like, <laughs> really? Okay. And like, what about the Quran? Isn't that the word of God? No. Why not? Well, just, there's no evidence to kind of back that up. And so here's a, and every single religious person is an atheist of all the other religions out there except their religion and it's almost like a switch and so you're kind of like you turn it on the skepticism when it comes to all the other religions but not to your religion <laughs> yes which <laughs> and is we turn off that switch and we let all and all of a sudden we're so accepting about so i guess going back to aliens you know, you can turn off that switch and just say, okay, I'm not going to be skeptical. I'm like, somebody says they're communicating with aliens. I'm going to believe it. Why not? You know, hey, there's, I can't disprove it and, you know, or whatever. And so all of a sudden you're very accepting of this notion that aliens are visiting us or communicating with us, etc. And then, and then you turn it back on again when it comes to maybe an idea about aliens that maybe doesn't jive with you. Yeah. And, and so I think a, a large part of religion is um right it's a it's a, a dogma that they've inherited because somebody told them or taught them here's how our religion Precisely. works here's how how it is yes and so much of our life and society is inherited dogma absolutely and when you can be free from dogma when you can examine those beliefs and you're willing to let either you're willing to hold multiple beliefs or examine multiple even conflicting beliefs and know that that's not you necessarily when you can start to see the the dogma and the pattern of of ideas that's simply just been taught or imprinted upon you then you're in a powerful place then you can decide then you can choose if it serves you you can choose where to place your attention you can choose um you know for entrepreneurs uh, what's the most powerful belief that I can hold here that something is possible or that it's not possible that money is easy to make or that it's hard to make. And you can choose to have those beliefs and going back to a biological level, you can choose, uh, you can rewire your brain by thinking thoughts in a new way that all of a sudden anything is possible for you. Money is easy to make. Uh, I am charismatic. All of these things are belief systems that are more useful i would say than other belief systems like um 
I'm just not good or somebody's out to get me or things just don't work out for me. I'm unlucky, whatever they are. So the power lies in understanding where you're stuck in a belief structure. Very well said. I like that very much. I hope people will replay that and and hear what you just said and listen to it again. Um, Let's move on to quantum physics and how consciousness impacts the material world, including a unified field intention experiment that you did with uh, business coaching clients earlier this year. Yeah. So, so as I learn more about quantum physics and, you know, I always like to have evidence based, uh, to, to back up when I, when I'm training people or, or just when I see phenomena, I like to have scientific evidence. Um, but fundamentally quantum physics is telling us that science, uh, and evidence-based practice is fundamentally flawed because of quantum entanglement. We try to, in science, uh, take a system and isolate it to look at a variable. Like we're going to look at, um, you know, the process of a cell within a body, or we're going to look at a body within an ecosystem, or we're going to look at an ecosystem within a planet. You're trying to like separate it off to understand it and observe and use evidence. But because of quantum entanglement, we know that there is no way to, uh, to disentangle the effects of somewhere across the universe with a molecule or a quark or a Planck fluctuation that's here. And it's provable by experiment. We know that uh, the the observer effect is real from, from the double slit experiment. So, so fundamentally science is, um, is, is, is missing the, the entanglement piece where, our interaction with everything matters. Our intent with everything is important. So when you when you start to see that's what's really going on, <clears throat> um, then then you see you're actually much maybe perhaps more powerful in influencing the world than you thought. Interesting. Yeah. No. And I think that's a a good analogy. And I think that looking at science for explanations or at least perhaps understanding to this window of this world that we still don't understand. I mean, we have this notion that we really understand the universe, but of course we, you know, we're going to, we've always thought that and we've always been completely wrong <laughs> throughout human, human history. We always said, and now we know what's really going on. Yeah. <laughs> and then a century later, we're like, absolutely not. And this, <laughs> we got that completely wrong. <laughs> it's so, it's so funny when, when I would talk with some of these travelers and explorers and adventurers and they'd say oh i wish you know i wish i was born in the golden age of exploration right, right. you're like so, you still are <laughs> <laughs> you are still in the very prototype no that's that's very true okay what about these wild things that speaking about traveling uh you said you you saw a balinese secret rainy season ceremony and an out-of-body experience facilitated by a 1000 year old magic tree tell us about okay so let's let's try to try to tie these all together um if we can influence the material world with our consciousness which that's what quantum physics seems to be telling us um then let's harness it and so so i've been doing an experiment all year uh based on uh, in my in my business mastermind, so I work with a group of entrepreneurs, 
And I said, can we apply this to growing their businesses? Can we uh, create a future where what they want comes true by intending it together as a group of people? And there's a lot of evidence that shows this works for healing people. Um, you know, whether it's whether it's a Christian prayer or just people sitting around and holding the intent for somebody's, um, you know, cancer to go away or rash to go away or any of these things. Um, so there's a lot of evidence that shows this collective prayer has a fantastically a success, a high success rate. <clears throat> but I wanted to apply that to business. So uh, each month we pick one person to be the receiver. So they're like in the middle of the circle. Uh, and we do it on Zoom. So so metaphorically speaking, they're in the middle of the circle. And then everybody else is sending the intent for their success to them. But what's really important here is um, what we send needs to be clear. So we all have to be on the same page about what we're intending. And so we'll, we'll um, let's say the person wants to um, go on TV. They think that'll make a really big difference in the marketing of their brand and their public image and, and sort of their trajectory. So they want to they want to go on TV. Are we going to visualize them during the TV program? Are we going to visualize them uh, getting more customers because they've been on TV? Like what part are we going to actually visualize and, and send? So once we get clear on that, um, we will we'll also ask the the receiver, like what will it feel like? when you're on TV. And um, so, so I'll be, I'll be excited. I'll feel confident. I'll, whatever the feeling state is, is important as well. So we can send, so partly uh, that's an exercise in, in another question of who would I be if I already had what I want? If you want to be a billionaire, who would you be if you were a billionaire and just be that now? So part of this is clarifying to them who they need to be. So if you need to be resourceful and confident and joyful, just start being that now and you will already be inhabiting that future version of yourself. So that's partly important is to clarify that for them, who they need to be in order to do the things that will lead to the results they want. Wow, that is very powerful stuff. Um, and I think that is transformative. Now, if people are listening to this, uh, Derek, and they want your coaching for such uh, de development, personal development, how did they reach out to you? Yeah, um, you can you can go to my website, DerekLoudermilk.com. Uh, Which I'll link to in the show notes because yeah. it's a mouthful. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I also have a, have a podcast, which is now uh, titled The Derek Loudermilk Show. So you can, you can, uh, you know, I deconstruct some of the, some of the topics we've been talking about today, like, like intent, uh, and, uh, the law of attraction and all that stuff I talk about on the podcast. So you can check yes. that out. Great. Yeah. Um, so if I can just sort of finish like what we've done with this experiment, because, Please. because it's amazing results, hundred percent effective every time somebody wants something and we've done this group intention, it's come true, which is phenomenal, right? If you could have a hundred percent success rate in making your dreams come true, uh, you would continue to do it. Right. And so, um, you know, people have, 
gotten on TV. They've started six figure businesses. They've uh, found their ideal romantic partner. One person was like, actually, I don't want to focus on business. I need, I need to get my romance life handled so that I can feel uh, powerful in my business so that that's not like distracting me from my business. Um, I just found out yesterday that that, you know, worked within three weeks for the, for the last person we did it to amazing. Um, and so, so, all right, we, we, we determine like what a tent we're going to set for this person. And then we just send it to them for 10 minutes. Like we all send the same intent for, for just 10 minutes or 12 minutes. And the experience when, when we start, we, you know, play a little music or something and we get to a calm place where we can, you know, uh, be, be loving and, and wish for the best for this person. Um, when everybody starts sending their intent, it's like jumping into a river. It's like you can immediately tell that you're sharing consciousness with the other people sending the intent. Everybody feels it. It makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. It makes many of us start to cry. Um, and we often will all report seeing the same thing in our mind's eye at the same time. So we share afterwards, like, oh, what was that experience like for you? And oftentimes, uh, we'll, you know, 50 or 60% of the people will say the same exact things that they saw. And it, it goes back to this, this unified field of, of consciousness. We're all participating in sending the same thing and we're all picking up on the same imagery at the same time. It's just, it just, it's phenomenal. It's like, we're all jumping into the river and flowing down it together. And it's, uh, it's worth doing just to experience being part of that. It's phenomenal. It definitely sounds like it. And I could, I think that's a good way to wrap up all the different topics that we touched on today. And I realize, uh, you know, there's so many more things that we could talk about and we, and we hope to, maybe we'll reconnect again in 2021. And I want just to thank you, Derek, again, for coming back on my show. I encourage people to go to Derek Laudamilk show, subscribe to his podcast. Uh, and, uh, let's, uh, let's keep the conversation going. Um, and, uh, thank you again, Derek. Francis, thank you for having me. Even though you're skeptical, it's phenomenal to, to have a, an open-minded sparring, uh, intellectual sparring partner like you. So, Semi-open-minded. Don't give me too much credit. Semi-open-minded. <laughs> and that concludes this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel, technology, and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, and go to wanderlearn.com and click on this episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember FTAPON. That's my first initial and my last name. FTAPON is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. And here's one last reason to remember FTAPON. If you like what I do and would like to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash ftapon. That's where you can pick up some remarkable rewards for as little as $2 a month. And now for five quick favors. Number one, subscribe to the Wander Learn podcast. Two, download it. Three, share it. Four, review it somewhere. And five, sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. Our theme music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn.